0: This episode is brought to you by Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant. Learn more at KermitLynch.com. This week on Meet and 3, we celebrate Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month with an episode about memory. I've always read and sort of approached cookbooks
1: for more than the recipes. To me, they are full
0: of narrative content and narrative value.
1: So Malama Aina basically means to take care of the land. For us as Hawaiians, it's taking care of our older sibling.
0: But I do remember like definitely feeling like self-conscious about it, like being the only one who kind of wasn't eating a sandwich and like didn't have a bag
1: of goldfish or lunchables.
0: Listen to Meet and Three wherever you get your podcasts. <music>
2: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. This is Tuesday, May 25th, 2021, and we're recording. It's almost Memorial Day weekend, and of course we're thinking about grilling and slow and slow barbecue. Um, But what should we pair with that? We always think beer and and more so cider. So we're going to talk to two brewers and one cookbook author. So we're going to introduce the guests here. Um, Let's start with Ray.
3: Hey, I'm Ray Sheehan. I'm the creator of Barbecue Buddha,
2: and I'm calling in from New Egypt, New Jersey. That's great. And one of our
1: brewers, Paul? I'm Paul Delugokensky, Blind Bat Brewery, Centerport, Long Island, New York. Okay, and Todd? Hey there, I'm Todd
4: DiMatteo from uh, Good Word Brewing and Public House in Duluth, Georgia. Thanks for having me.
2: Okay, so this episode started about a month or two ago when Paul at Blind Bat Brewery you posted about your grilled hanger steak with your hell smoke porter. Now, when I think about going out and destination breweries, Blind Bat has always been for me for ten years. You've always been making the freshest local beer, and I want to drink it as close to the source as I can. So I'm always interested to, to, to think about how your now that you have your tap room the last two years, how uh, your beer pairings are going. So. Tell us a little bit about your food program at, at Blind Bat Brewery out in Long Island.
1: Yeah, well uh we were not allowed to open just a straight up uh tap room by the town, but they said we could open a small restaurant, which actually worked out with our original plans. We just weren't gonna tackle that right away. But um so we do as much organic and local as possible when we're sourcing our foods and um we try to incorporate beer when we can in the cooking of the foods. We're doing that more and more. So what you saw on Instagram was a uh, part of the marinade. I had our smoke Porter for that uh, hanger steak, and we're going to be doing that again. It was a special. We're probably switching over the flank or skirt, but we also do um, – we use our half of Hefeweizen as part of the marinade for our chicken thighs, for our duck fat fried chicken sandwiches – um sometimes we're doing our hot dogs we like the brooklyn hot dogs because they're really good yeah. quality so hot when dogs. you're using so,
2: beer as a marinade just, to, just yeah. a
1: quick intro what, Sure.
2: just tell us what, what's a simple recipe for a beer marinade for the for the, the steak oh, the
1: simplest yeah, the simplest recipe that i've been doing it has been for the chicken it's really just uh maybe uh one part of our Hefeweizen to one part of a uh, pickle brine. We get pickles from a place in Glen Cove uh, that we use on our burgers and such, and we give an, end up with a lot of pickle brine. Uh, it's a bread and butter pickle. So we basically that's the simplest thing I'm doing for the chicken thighs. For the, for the uh, steak, it's uh, some ketchup, some molasses, some vinegar, some white cane sugar, you know, the usual suspects, uh, spices, cinnamon, cumin, um, et cetera, And then, uh, a good amount of the Smoke Porter.
2: And I'm going to, and a shout out, if you're on Long Island, you got to get the Smoke Porter from Blind Bat and also the Hefeweizen, which last thing I knew you you were
1: making it with uh, some local wheat, weren't you? Well, everything is as much New York state, um, grown ingredients as possible. So, um, on Long Island, there's really not much wheat or barley being grown, but we do get some hops. Everything is otherwise from upstate, the Hudson Valley, Central New York, Western New York. That's great. So great to have you
2: back on the show. Todd, hey, man, how are you? Uh, Donnie, good, good word in, uh, in Georgia. Um, we had you on a show, and I, I'm always interested in, in the food you're serving at your brewery.
4: Well, I'm, I'm basically looking for a job as your co-host, so I want to be on your show as much as possible uh, I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, food is, is a big part of what we do. You know, before I, uh, before we opened good word, this brew pub we have, I was in restaurants for uh, the last, you know, almost 18 years. Um, so yeah, we have our chef and our sous chef. Um, you know, these, these guys kill it. I always joke and say the beer is, or the food is almost as good as the beer, but you know, some might argue that's better. And, uh, you know, most of our beer, even though we brew lots of different styles, we kind of focus on, you know, English style beers and, uh, and lagers because they lend themselves so well to, uh, to pairings. And we actually do beer dinners. You know, COVID kind of put, a, put us behind a little bit and all the rest of the world for that matter. But uh, we would do one basically every like two or three months. And funny enough, we've got our next beer dinner is next uh, Thursday we're doing that one you know we'll have uh, a handful of our beers and then we'll also have our friends blackberry farm from uh, Maryville, tennessee up here so we'll have three of their beers and three of ours and we'll do uh, a welcome beer and then five courses paired up it's pretty dope we, like i said we're trying to get back into that rhythm but uh but yeah our our chefs kind of kill it and as far as the food goes it's kind of all across the board i was actually talking with our chef just before the show and we've got a scallop dish that i love it's got uh you know, these giant seared scallops with uh, pork belly and English peas and this nice cream. And he's like, Man, the scallops pricing is going crazy. It's like thirty bucks a pound. What do you think about octopus? And I'm like, I freaking love octopus. And then he was like, Well, I was thinking octopus or uh, uh monkfish and I'm like, Shit, let's put both those on the menu. But like just <laughs> looking at her just looking at her menu, you know, it's kinda it's kinda all over the place in some regard. You know, we've got the couple American standards, a uh, uh, double uh, patty burger and, and wings. But, you know, we got uh, pansier trout, fried uh, fried chicken, a mushroom croquette, gnocchi, and, you know, salads and bologna sandwich. Definitely has a southern feel to it. Um, but we utilize uh, a couple of our English beers, namely uh, the English Porter and these uh, roasted peanuts. We use a lot of uh, a lot of beer and sauces and stuff like that, too. But like I said, our our fan base and the regulars that come in are very used to beers that are 5% and they always want to stick around and have a couple and, and you know, enjoy some, some stuff to not show them, So
2: Well, it, it's spring, man. And that's, that's what it feels like. And what's interesting is um, Ray, I know you're working on a new cookbook. We're not going to talk about that too much because it's not out yet, but your first cookbook was, was about all your award-winning sauces and there were really great recipes. That seemed more like a barbecue book. But it, your new your new book seems like you're going beyond just barbecue. Yeah the the first
3: book um, award winning barbecue sauces and how to use them basically featured ten sauces and then fifty ways to use them for grilling and smoking. Uh, whereas this one focuses on Kamado style cooking and the versatility of it. Um, you know you can. Pretty much, you know, cook hot and fast, low and slow, smoking. Um, You can roast, you can bake. So we get to break out a little bit from the barbecue mold. And um, we're not going to go too far off, but there's a lot of great different, you know, um, flavors uh, incorporated into the book, uh, including a really fantastic smoked queso and beer dip. You know, uh, I, I tried to in the first book, there was a, a beer brine pork chop and I, I love cooking with beer. So I really wanted to try to get something in this book uh, so, kind of simple. We're we're focusing on the basics. So something like that is really quick for the um, the reader to get onto the Kamado style grill to cook it. So but yeah, definitely want to put some beer in there.
2: Well, let's go back first. Um, your beer brine pork chop. Yes quick 30 seconds how do you do that what's that recipe
3: um i i'll be happy to send you the exact recipe but quickly i mean you know we're doing some spices and i'm gonna let it i'm gonna let this marinade for probably about eight hours i'm gonna use uh something like more like an amber richer flavored beer that's gonna really uh give it some notes of caramel and spice and um it's gonna really help the exterior of, of the uh, pork chop get a little bit, almost like um, it's going to really give it more like a smoky kind of a bite to it. And really it's just so simple to do just, like I said,
2: I'm going to let it go for probably about eight hours at least. And then, yeah. So how, how does the beer interact with, is is it, does it change the crust if you're searing it? Yes. Yep, yeah, tell, tell us like how the beer
3: interacts with this piece. Definitely of Definitely helps uh, to me. I like to do it at a little bit of a higher heat to get a good sear on it. It really helps the crust get um, build another layer of uh, smoky kind of flavor to it, and keeping the inside really nice and
2: moist. So if I had like a, a porter or even a, a smoke porter, like like Paul makes a blind oh, bat, wow. yeah, that, that would really add to it that smokiness. Since we're talking pork chops, so what's the difference between marinating with a beer based and doing a dry rub? Cause I know you also have rubs now too, it, your, your sauce business barbecue Buddha.
3: Yes. Yeah. We have, uh, sauces, rubs, uh, the rubs, uh, you know, when you're doing it with a dry rub, it's kind of a, like a, like some people call it a dry brine. Like when I'm doing a brisket at a competition, I'll, I'll dry brine it the night before, you know, uh, Probably for a good eight or nine hours, um, and and I just think that it helps to—I don't know how deep it gets into the meat, but it it really tenderizes it, and it it you know it's not just the flavor; it's it also helps with the tenderization of it.
2: Yeah. Hey Todd, are you getting inspired? I don't know about inspired, but uh, absolutely hungry. <laughs> I know. But I, I like when you when you start talking. Like the reason I was mentioning Ray's first book is that that was just like classic like sauces with, with, you know, a more barbecue dishes, but I've got a chance to look at, I'm not going to say the name of the book yet, but, um, the preview of Ray's new book and there were seafood dishes and things that stood out, which made me think that, uh, Ray, when your new book comes out, if I had a a pub or, 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 a brewery, I would definitely use it as a resource for my menu, so for example, you've got Maryland crab cake. Um, yeah. We love crab cakes. So, w- why is that in your cookbook? Because I know you're 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 working with the Komodo, the ceramic style grill in, in this book.
3: So that that made it into the book for a couple reasons. The first is really to show the versatility of the of this type of cooker. Um, they are fried on the Komodo grill. Uh, they're not just sauteed the second is because um those crab cakes were awarded best crab cakes in in delaware uh we did a competition uh every year in uh, the delaware uh they have delaware coast day in Lewis, delaware and as part of it they have a chowder cook-off and they have a crab cake cook-off so we went against teams from delaware maryland and virginia and new jersey and all over and we we got first place with this crab cake so i wanted to share that with with all the readers you know and and i you know i like to promote good food so if people thought enough of to vote this first place then it should be out there and people should be making it
2: so is there a seasoning in in that crab cake or is it just about really good crab?
3: there's yeah, there's definitely some some great seasonings in there. I even put my hot sauce in there um, to give it a little kick, uh, but you, you don't want to I, I like to uh, accentuate the, the the proteins that I'm cooking with the seasonings and the sauces as opposed to having them dominate in flavor. So I really do want you to taste that crab. you know, I, I don't want it to be overpowering with the spice or the sauce. I'd rather it be a compliment,
2: complimentary. So let's go back to the brewer. So Todd, and uh, first Todd, um, crab cake. I don't know if that inspires you or makes you hungry, but it makes me hungry. Of the beers you're, you have coming out now, wh- what would you pair with a crab cake? It's a classic. Lots of crab. Yeah.
4: So uh, first off, I love uh, crab, and you know, living in Georgia, we don't get a ton of uh, you know super fresh seafood. I don't. I don't eat seafood. Super often, but anytime I'm near water, I absolutely do. Um, but I would say with a uh, with crab cake, I've got a beer. It's it's called Penelope, and it's a it's a little bit higher in gravity. It's six point five percent, but it's a dry hop saison. It would fare great with a uh, with the crab crab cakes, no doubt. Um, this beer, <coughs> log it for about six weeks. It's super round, and I use a uh, howitzel blanc, so it's got a bright citrusy uh citrusness from uh the blanc but it is a very subtle and nuanced beer and uh it wouldn't you know it would it would pair perfectly with the crab and like maybe a light salad and a vinaigrette
2: yeah i've had crab cakes where there's just it's just so much crab meat and not much else and um you want to die for those
1: Um, Paul, for you on Long Island, I don't know if you have crab cakes up there. but Long Island, we definitely have crab (laughs) crab cakes. Uh, Actually, one of the best crab cakes I ever had, uh, a little road trip. We stopped at Mount Vernon, uh, George Washington's home, and there's a hokey kind of restaurant there. But their crab cakes were amazing. Um, As far as pairing, I'm working on a, uh, probably be out a little later this summer, a pilsner, but using Tahoma hops which has kind of a little more of a lemon citrus aroma. Uh, I think that might go well. The Hefeweizen obviously would go nicely with, with crab cakes or my, maybe my Hellas also would go oh, nicely. That sounds good too.
2: I'll tell you about Hefeweizen. Um, years ago when I did, I never, I don't really know too much about the science of pairing and, but I know my taste buds. And that was about 12 years ago at my, at my old pub I had some pretty noteworthy cookbook people in, and they were on to ask me about beer pairings. And I think we had some wild salmon on the menu. And I said, I I, I find that German style hefeweizens, German style wheat beers, are really my go-to for pairing in almost any dish. And some people <laughs> call that a blanket statement, but I stand by that. I, I felt like the culture that that made German wheat beers was was very food.
1: Food and beer friendly. I don't know if anyone wants to to talk about that. I'll just second it. Yeah, I would just second that motion. Uh, German beer is very food friendly and uh, Hefeweizen, uh, particularly, you know, summertime, you think you're sitting outside and maybe you're having uh, fried chicken or a fish dish or, you know, lobster roll, um, something like a Hefeweizen or a really nice pilsner just seems to go really, really well with that. Yeah, but with your hefeweizen, it's not just it's not just like citrus or
2: anything. It's not like I, I can see why people like hard seltzer because they're not really tasting beer. When I think of a hefeweizen, I think of yours. I think of wheat. It's like wheat flavor. That how do you describe the flavor of your hefeweizen beer? Because you you it's it's not just like a, a light
1: refreshing beer. There's some flavor there. Well, I'm, I'm hoping you get the wheat because I mean that's the whole point. I think of a hefeweizen. The, the weizen means wheat, um, so it's. I just use 50 percent really good quality New York State wheat and 50 uh, percent good quality New York State barley, and use a good hefeweizen yeast. If you keep the yeast happy at a good temperature, it'll it'll give you a nice beer. It's about keep it. at that point, it's about keeping the yeast happy. It's the yeast. That's the issue.
2: Yeah, yeah, and then just in terms of serving it, because now it's like okay, everyone's get everyone's double vaxed, they're getting out. Um, when I drink beer at your tap room, whatever it is, the carbonation, the the way you're pouring it is perfect. Oh, thank you. What's your? I want you to comment on what you know about carbonating your beer, as a brewer. Because that's the biggest issue I have with a lot of beer I'm getting. I, I, it, different bars and, and restaurants, some of them get it right and some of it, I know when the beer comes out, it's just not tasting the way it should because of the carbonation or the,
1: the draft system. I, I, th- I mean, I, I'm, I haven't studied uh, formally brewing or cooking, but I think anyone who cooks knows you, you taste it before you put it out i think it's the same thing with beer you you taste it and one of the things that you taste for is do i feel like this is the proper level of carbonation i know there are some some expensive instruments that some brewers use to check the actual you know reading of carbonation levels uh, i haven't done that not because i don't believe in it just because i you know budget didn't uh, allow for such an instrument i think it's just a matter of of tasting and you keep fiddling but with you things. You taste it. You have an.
2: You're also doing really small batches, but you have an instinct uh, yeah. for it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you can't explain it. You just know what what you like.
1: Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, it's also why I love going to your place. So. <laughs> and then Todd, for you, like the, these German style, like like a, a weedy hefeweizen. Go back to pairing with uh, the crab cakes. Um. Do you make a hefeweizen? You know, I, I have been wanting
4: to do a Hefeweizen for a long time, but, uh, you know, what I would do is we cock that style, and I don't have a uh, um, a separate kettle to do that. Unfortunately, I've got a three-vessel system, and we step-mash all of our beers, and it'd probably make a, a good Hefeweizen, but yeah, I've talked myself out of it a couple times. Now, our Saison uh, I mentioned, it's um, 30% wheat and 15% spelt. So it's got a high protein content for sure. Uh, but yeah, to talk a little bit about carbonation, carbonation definitely helps with pairing. And in, you know, in general, it's something um, we're trying to pay as much attention to as possible because we spun our, our beers. So basically when they're uh, in fermentation, we put a uh, device on them and bung them up. And so it releases only a small amount of CO2 because CO2 is created during fermentation. We capture a lot of that so we have beers that are all of our lager beers are naturally uh carbonated so it ends it lends itself to a softer carbonation um so by the time we move beer from fermenter to uh to the bright tanks we check with our zahman nagel and it's you know two two four to two six um so it's right in, in range of carbonation but yeah i mean that's one thing with with us and having a canning line we've had it for about six months so we're still trying to like get carb levels really nice because you know for beers like pilsner and you know check south pilsners and um pill lagers in general have a little more carbonation so you want to make sure that you're getting that you know mouthfeel and, and like i said as far as pairings go it, it just helps to like uh you know clear your palate a little bit when you have something that's like crisp and refreshing um so carbonation is wildly important of course and so is uh especially for something like a, a wheat beer. You know, wheat beer, it should be carved much higher than a, a Pilsner. It would be closer to 2.9 or three volumes of CO2, so it's pretty highly carbonated. That would be hard for us to can on our canner. That's the other problem I would have. I'd have to serve it draft only, most likely. Certain canning lines can't handle that high uh, CO2. There's a lot of breakout during the uh,
2: canning process. So do you think that's what I feel like a lot of beers that – when they go into cans, they they kind of have to fit a certain profile. Is that well, partly the carbonation? Well, yes and no. I mean, you know, like you lose a little bit of CO two
4: um, that you have in your bright tank when you're actually canning the beer. You'll lose a, a small amount, um, and there, you know, there's a device called a, a Anton Paar C box which can measure that once it's in a, a can, so you can see exactly how much you have. But you know, we're a ten barrel brew pub. <laughs> We definitely spent a lot of money uh, with all the equipment we have, but, you know, this device is like a $25,000 piece of equipment. So it's just, you know, again, back to kind of what uh, Paul is saying, you, kind of, you know, you use your Zom and Nagel and you use your, your mouth Zom, as some brewers refer to it, and see if it tastes right. But, you know, you can get a beer that seems right and, uh, you know, you get it in the cans and it's a little flabby. And, uh, there's nothing
2: uh, more disappointing than that, for sure. Yeah. Hey, let's, let's go to another, another recipe I know that Ray was working on. Um, I I saw that you you have a recipe for New Orleans-style barbecue shrimp. Tell us about oh. that dish because about 20 years ago at one of my old restaurants, I had a New Orleans chef, and it's not barbecue that we think of, but it is one of my favorite dishes from New Orleans.
3: Yeah, that, that's one of my favorite dishes as well, and um, – there was a little place on the Jersey shore where the guy was from New Orleans and he had a, a place called the Bayou Cafe. And that was the first time that I ever had it. And um, one day uh, we frequented his restaurant and I said, hey, you know, what's in that barbecue shrimp? Like, we can't get enough of it. It was like, you know, oh, yeah. you're sopping it up with the bread, all the juices. And I said, but it's not like barbecue. He goes, no, it's it's all about the sauce. It's a, It's like a barbecue and beer butter. You know, and and that's that's basically the, the gist of the sauce. And one day before he ended up closing it, he gave me, you know, pretty much his recipe. And then I've made a bunch of other different recipes, but it's all about the pecan sauce. It's like, you know, um, you're going to pour in your spices and your beer and you're going to reduce it down a little bit. And then you're going to whisk in butter and you're going to make a little slick sauce. And, um, you know, you're going to have all of your delicious uh, and spicy Cajun, uh, spices in there. And, and, um, it, you're going to really flavor up kind of like shrimp don't have a a ton of flavor on their own, but one trick that you can do is to leave the shells on when you cook this dish and it helps to soak in that, that barbecue butter and and the beer. So when you peel it off, you're, you you know, it's kind of messy, but, you know, between your fingers and the bread, man, you just can't get
2: enough of this shrimp. And then you definitely want to have good bread and sop up every last it's, – it's totally butter.
3: Yeah, it, it <laughs> It's it is. like
2: shrimp cooked in butter with this – whatever the sauce is. And when you make the sauce – because you, you, you've got barbecue butter. I, I, I love your, your barbecue sauces. I haven't tried the hot sauce yet. Do, oh, do you, you usually put some of your sauces in when you're cooking – or 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 in these recipes, are you just building up from the raw ingredients
3: um it depends if if i'm just if I'm cooking for you know uh, friends and family or you know that kind of thing, yeah, of course, I mean I'm constantly putting in you know my products and this hot sauce you've gotta try it is we call it mantra because our daily mantra is to infuse flavor into your everyday life, so it's not like super hot, it's not gonna ruin your day. Uh, It's a cayenne red pepper sauce. It's robust uh, notes of garlic and spice. Uh, It's to complement your foods. Um, As far as when I'm like, you know, recipe testing and like all the recipes for the books and when I do for the, you know, Barbecue News magazine, those are I'm building from scratch. So those require a little bit more testing because I'm not starting with anything that's really pre-made unless it's maybe like for some baking thing, maybe a crust or something, but typically everything is from scratch. So it,
2: it, it does require a little bit more work. Yeah. So, so last year we did the first sauce King NYC competition. You entered your, your Kansas city and your Memphis mop, your two barbecue sauces. So since then you've, you've rolled out the mantra hot sauce, which I haven't tried. Um, What else? So you've you've also rolled out some rubs. So just as a sauce guy, how is that working for you? Like adding to your product line,
3: the 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 rubs. So when I the first sauce I came out with was the Memphis Mop. It's the sweet and tangy. It's my award winner. It's the the Sauce King NYC Grand Champion. What an honor! I can't thank you and your team enough for putting on this this huge contest in the middle of a pandemic and really giving. You know barbecue and sauce people, something to look forward to. So thank you. That's number one. And number two is I came out with the Memphis and I came out with the Belly Rub, which is a low sodium all-purpose rub. I came out with those two at the same time. And then the next batch was the Kansas City and the Zen Steak Rub. And then after a couple of years, I didn't want to put out too many products all at once. Um, I don't know how much, like with, with the brewers, they're creating their own products. I come up with my products and then I go to a bottler who bottles them in a USDA inspected facility. So it, it's a little bit more, um, it takes a little bit more time for me to come out with a new product because I'm not the one that's physically making it for the masses. Yeah. So, uh, it, I wanted to wait a little bit, you know. It costs its time and money, and then we came out with the mantra. And then I have like a slew of barbecue sauces that I'm dying to put out, but like I said, it's time and money, so a little bit at a time. But but I mean, I could put out you know five more sauces tomorrow. My goal has always been to grow, but to kind of grow not too fast. I, I'd rather focus on quality versus quantity. So. I do have some some sauces that are, are ready to roll um, and, you know, we'll be hopefully rolling them out, you know, uh,
2: as soon as we can. Great. Hey, uh, before we take a short break, I'm going to read off our beer haiku of the week by Awkward Haiku. And as an intro, I think that my mistype to him was this show was going to be about grilling beer. <laughs> so his haiku is that's really dangerous. You misunderstood grilling beers. Take can off the grill. All right. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All
1: right.
0: This episode is brought to you by Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant, an importer, retailer, and wholesaler of fine wine from France and Italy, headquartered in Berkeley, California. In 1972, Kermit Lynch opened a retail shop in Berkeley, California with a $5,000 loan and a bit of gumption. He started with just 35 cases of wine stacked on the floor. Kermit grew his business from a retailer into a wholesaler and a national importer of wines from France and Italy. These wines are produced by small family growers who are committed to the Old World traditions and culture. It is Kermit's belief that great wine is made in the vineyard, not the cellar. Much like his close friends, the late food writer Richard Olney and Chez Panisse's founder Alice Waters, Kermit's influence has been enduring. He has spent nearly half a century shining the spotlight on small artisan producers. Learn more at KermitLynch.com. K E R M I T L Y N C H.com.
2: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Become a member and support us at heritageradionetwork.org. So we're talking about grilling beer or beer and barbecue or just flavors and pairing. Um, We've got a great crew here, Ray Sheehan, Paul D., and Todd DiMatteo. Um, So Todd, back to you. So at at your Good Word Brewing in Duluth, Georgia, like you're also doing a full food program. We were just talking about sauces. Uh, do, do you have a place for sauces on the menu, or, or do you have like a range of sauces, or you just have like one hot sauce and ketchup?
4: Uh, we actually have a little sauce menu. <laughs> uh, That's what yeah. I
2: was hoping. You just impressed me. <laughs>
4: yeah, we, we, we do. So we do uh, hand-cut fries, and you know we've got. Let me see: one, two, three, four, five, six. It looks like we have about twelve uh, sauces just for uh, just for the fries. So uh, yeah very involved uh as far as that goes but i don't think any of these sauces actually i know no the the mustard has beer in it but nothing else has uh you know mustard is, or uh, beer is part of it besides that do, one.
2: do you have some like belgian style like mayo sauces for free oh yeah oh yeah, um, so, um, yeah. Run, run us through what, what are some of the sauces you have
4: okay so we've got a burger sauce a chili oil uh of course your buffalo sauce we have a sesame uh chang, which is a uh, as Korean-inspired. Of course, your buttermilk ranch, we are in the South. Um, we've got a uh, remoulade. Uh, we've got, a, of course, our own barbecue sauce. Uh, Calabrian mayonnaise and then a country mustard, black garlic aioli, and then a honey mustard. So, yeah, quite the saucier uh, at Good Word.
2: So when we're talking about you know just preparing with food, um, like what what what? let's pick one item off your menu that would go with either the remoulade or another sauce. Might It might be, it might be is, is it already served? Is the sauce served with the dish on the menu or do you have your choice? No, no. Of so
4: those, those are, those are more or less like, you know, you can fries and they're served with uh, you know, a choice of those sauces. But I'll tell you what my favorite thing is on the menu. It's our handmade Yoki. Uh, and that's served with braised pork cheek, uh, black truffle fondue, which we make in house and a kale and uh, Calabrian chili salad and like a little farm egg shaved on top. It sounds, uh, hopefully it sounds delicious, but it, it sounds simple, but it is so rich. Even though this dish is like, you know, relatively small, it's freaking phenomenal. I love it. It's probably my favorite thing we have. Um,
2: wow, but everything sounds just gotta- country. It sounds, I use the word country cause I think of countryside cooking and my favorite countries like Italy
1: <laughs>
2: sounds pretty good. Yeah. It's um, fun- so what beer would you pair with that? So that that's uh, I'm down at Good Word Brewing. I got the gnocchi.
4: You have Minyaki. I would say our Die Todd Die, which is our five uh, percent American style Pilsner. Yeah, really good. Like I said it's crisp, and even though this dish is uh, it's a little heavy, that uh, Pilsner will you know cut all that fat really nicely. Um, it's it's a pretty dry Pils. Um, I'm actually drinking one right now, but I'm not eating. You, we're know, close, but uh, that would pour, that would pair perfectly. Yeah.
2: Hey, about your pilsners, um, you sent me the Any Day Now, the Italian style pills, collab with Blackberry Farm. Yeah, and was, that was really one of my favorite beers of the spring. Nice, thank you. And two things about it, I was talking to a couple other brewers a couple weeks ago, and they almost mocked. Well, what's why is it Italian style pills? You know, not everyone's drinking Tipo pills. So, what is it about Italian style pills? I think they also said that it's pop- becoming more popular in California.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, really, you could just call it a dry hop German style Pilsner. But uh, so, yeah, uh, Briffico from they're an Italian brewery. They have a style that's uh, called Tipo pills, which is like I think it translates to like sorta of pills, but it's a dry <laughs> hop. It's a dry hop Pilsner um, style beer. So yeah, I mean, there's two schools of thoughts, on, you know, thought on that. Like, yeah, it's just dry hop, German style pills. Um, so yeah, I don't know if they don't agree with it, would mock it. I don't, like, I don't care. <laughs> but, uh, but in my opinion, you know, I, uh, you know, my last name is Di Matteo. You yeah, know, so Italian heritage. The malt is uh, a Eric Lea grown on the coast of Italy. So that's Italian, and uh, why not? so yeah and with Hallertau hops is that what you use so the the hops come from uh sites farms which is located in Hallertau. so they are definitely not italian uh, hops but uh like i said the malt is grown right on the coast of italy so the cool thing about that malt like i guess like i said it's it's brought in by environment uh, it's called ericlea it's got this really cool like minerality to it um and actually the the hue of the beer, the the color is like it's slightly it's like green tint. It's kind of, it's super unique. This is the only, like, I, I use Vireman exclusively in our, um, our pale Lagers, but I only use Eric Clay in that, um, that beer. But, uh, it's, uh, it's definitely one of my favorites too. I, did I send you some of that Heater Allen collab we just did? It's called, oh, you no, know, oh, I'd love to, it. love to try it, man. Yeah, it's another, so I call it that one's a dry hop pilsner too. But we just call it a dry hop pilsner, but that one's dry hop with another uh, sights uh, um hop called Saphir. That one's got a little more herbal character, but it's probably one of my favorite. They're very different the two uh, the two beers, even though they're similar um, uh, in a lot of ways. The the Heater Allen is Bohemian uh, malt from from virus, a little more pale, but super crisp. But yeah, I'll send you some of that too, Kevin.
2: Oh, that's great, man. Hey, I'm, and I'm going to go back to Ray. Ray, um, just a general concept. Um, I know with this, you're working with the ceramic cookers, and you mentioned that there's a difference between we we kind of get confused. You know, everyone's been talking about it's barbecue is not grilling, and and we've had everyone focusing on low and slow and what you do with an offset smoker. But we know there's a lot more to cooking than just that. So I like you're talking about grilling with getting like a char versus low and slow. And give us an overview of how that affects flavor.
3: Well, if you're grilling, you're typically cooking uh, usually smaller cuts of meat at a hotter uh, temperature and a faster you know, amount of time. Um, so you're going to build that that little bit of crust very quickly at a high heat. It's almost going to, it's going to sear it onto, onto the meat. If you're doing the smoking, you're cooking low and slow. So a a bigger cut of meat, a lower temperature for a longer period of time. When you do it for a longer period of time like that, um, particularly with your dry rub, you're going to, you're going to be able to have that dry rub almost, uh, the sugars in it will caramelize onto the meat and you'll be able to build layers of flavor between, you know, your dry rub and any glaze that you start to put on towards the end of cooking. Um, you know, in Memphis, you know, ribs are, you know, um, if they do mop them they're mopping them throughout building those layers of flavor. So you're my point is you're doing it at a, at a lower temperature and it's going to really help you build that bark, that crust that that we all crave, you know.
2: And you feel like that that was, you know, this weekend's coming, world day weekend. I know you're coming up. We're doing an event uh Five picnic at cookoutnyc.com in New York and uh, I'm really thrilled that you're coming up to showcase your Thank sauce you. king award winning sauces, but um there's going to be a mix there. You know, there, there's ribs. There'll be we'll – let's talk about ribs because there'll be – many of the chefs will have cooked ribs mm. and whether they're cooking them on site slow or they're cooking them at their restaurant slow and bringing them in. So they're all doing slow-cooked ribs. It's. It's No one's doing it. Right. Like I've done Italian recipes where I've braised it in a pan with white wine and sage, and that's not what people think about ribs. But – um how, how would you do, what, what what's a good rib recipe that you have from any of your books?
3: I mean, you know, there's so many different rubs out there, you know, uh, so if you pick your favorite rub, I like to season them about an hour before I put them on the cooker. Um, just so the, the rub has time to like set up and almost start to melt into the meat. Um, but they're so thin, there's not so much meat, like I wouldn't, Season them the night before, like a like a brisket or a pork butt. I would give them an hour, an hour and a half before they go on the smoker. Um, and really, they're going to get in two hours. They're really going to pick up in about two and two and a half hours as much smoke as they're going to get. There is such a thing as over smoking. You don't want to, <laughs> you know, you don't want it to. You don't want the person to bite into it and all they taste is this acrid smoke. So probably you know you want to use the salt the smoke like salt and pepper like as another seasoning so about 2 hours on the smoke um for me I like to wrap them and I'll, in my wrap I'll put I'll put my mantra hot sauce you can put your favorite hot sauce uh honey brown sugar some more rub a little apple juice wrap them put them back on the cooker for another hour to an hour and a half and then after that time I check the temperature and the and the basically the bendability of it. I'm looking to see that they're a little bit pliable. I'll take them out of the, of the wrap and then put them back on the smoker. And then I'm going to start to glaze them for the last half hour. And, you know, cause you don't want the, the barbecue sauce to burn up on the smoker, but it's going to really um, help it set the glaze for the last half hour. Uh, I'm I'm looking for um, a bite with a little bit of a tug. I don't want it to be falling off the bone. If, you, if you're if you like falling off the bone and you're not in your own backyard, they're overcooked. <laughs> you know, when you're at home, that's one thing. But when, I feel like when you're feeding, you know, uh, people or it's a competition, the, the judges typically like to uh, have a little bit of a tug. But that's pretty much, you know, the simplest, the easiest recipe, uh, you know, that I could think of.
2: Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned flavor and you mentioned smoke as a flavor. So let's go back to Paul. So, Paul, uh, I think your Hell Smoke Porter was one of the first beers I ever had of yours. I also had your Potato Stout years ago. Yeah. So, <clears throat> how, do, how do I and mean, we've talked about smoke beers a lot, but from your perspective, how do you
1: use smoke as a flavor in beer? It, it depends on the um, style. Like the, the Hell Smoke Porter, I will smoke about 20% of the barley that I'll be brewing with over a combination of apple and alderwood. I do a, um, a smoked, uh, wit beer. I smoke maybe just like 12% of the wheat over mesquite. And then there's the Vlad the inhaler, which is a drodzitski. That's a hundred percent of everything I'm brewing with. I smoke over Oak. Um, so it depends on the style that you're going for. Um, to echo what Ray was talking about, I generally will smoke only for about two hours to two two and a half hours um, when I'm smoking the malt. But it's um, it's not for everyone. But people who like smoke and who like beer and who like smoked beers, so far, Knockwood they've been they've been enjoying what I've been doing. Do you, Do you feel like when
2: when you you're adding smoke malt to your beer, do you think that? That you can use less hops. Does, do, does, do you feel like it does
1: the same for the mouthfeel that hops does? That, that's a good question. I, you know, none of the styles that I'm doing the smoked beers for are particularly hoppy beers. I mean, a porter uh, is not a, a, a is very is that much hops in a porter or a wit beer. Although you, you know you've got some spices in a wit beer. Uh, the Grudzitski has maybe more hops than the other two. Um, I've never tried to do a hoppier style as a smoked beer. I guess uh, that's something to play with, but, um, I mean, hops are going to give you bitterness and maybe some citrus or fruit or whatever else, depending on the, on the hop variety. Smoke is just kind of its own thing. Yeah. And I'm just going to give mention to the, for me, one of the
2: classics, the, the Schlenker the Helles lager. It yes. gets it gets that hint of smoke because it's 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 apparently run through the the same.
1: It, it's bre- yeah. It's brewed in the same system that they that they brew the that they so it gets a, it, it picks up it. that hint
2: of smoke. Yeah, which, which on, it, on my palate
1: comes off. It,
2: it it picks up the flavor a little bit. I don't know. I yeah. don't know how to describe it either. But um, that's good. And let's let's go back to to Todd about. I want to talk about collaborations because. That Any Day Now Pills was with Blackberry Farm. I just saw you were working on a recipe or inspiration from Alvina in, in Belgium. Tell us about your collaborations and where your inspirations come from.
4: Oh, yeah. So we're doing a beer. Or Actually, I brewed it, uh, what, last week maybe? It's a, uh, a collab with um, Dan from Wooden Robot and Yvonne Debates uh, De from uh, De La Seine.
2: Oh, Deleccen
4: not Ovina, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay, um, but you know we're all big fans of uh, English beer, so we we made um, a simple English bitter, and we're going to do a light dry hop on it with some Brambling Cross. But uh, you know, I, I'm a big English beer fan, and I can't remember if I sent you our um,
2: English,
4: English cider. Cider. yeah. So we we've got three, have yeah, three or four um, core English beers. I say four because I, I'm pretty sure that this uh, De La Sain collab is going to be pretty pretty outstanding. But um, we've got a beer called Analog Life, which is a 3.4% uh, dark mild, um, super traditional. Uh, you guys talking bitterness? That one's pretty low. That one's about 16 bUs. Then we've got another one called Digital Comforts. That one's 3.8% and it's a uh, a best bitter. So it have a nice malty like toffee um, flavor and not super sweet for sure, and it has a nice little um, bitterness charge. It's about 25 IBUs. And then the Quantum Immortality, which is the 4% English mod we were talking about. So it's a, a really rich beer up front, but it finishes pretty, you know, it finishes dry for an English beer, but not crazy dry. And then, like I said, the De La Sen beer, we haven't quite named yet, but we're working on a label. and That one's going to be around 4 um, to 4.2%. but. Anyway, you're talking about collabs. I mean, so, obviously, doing collabs with people that can come in and make a beer is the way you want to do it. Um, typically, um, especially through COVID, we've done lots of uh, virtual collabs. But, you know, for the most part, brewers have you know talked via Zoom or via email or text or whatever and sorted out the recipe. So the hard, the quote-unquote hard part is done, <laughs> even though the brew day is you know six to eight hours or whatever it's going to be, uh, depending on style. But um, you know that's kind of where you're like, all right, do I want to brew the beer before the brewery gets here? Do I want to brew it the day of? I kind of just, you know, if I'm going to a collab, I let them kind of you know host me however they want. And if they're coming here, I always ask, do you want to be part of the brew day? Would you rather um, you knock it out before or after? Um, you guys come to town, and let's just hang out and have fun. So it's really that camaraderie kind of spirit that goes on. And we definitely hope that Yvonne can make it out um, you know, later this year, uh, if we rebrew this beer, you know, Dan and I even talked about going over to Belgium and visiting him. but yeah we we do we do a lot of clubs. you know, we, before the pandemic and even a little during, I traveled lightly uh, as safe as I possibly could. But I mean, you know, even though I've got three kids at the house, my wife is pretty patient. I just, you know, I load up the truck with some beer and try to do an event when I go to a new state in town and, you know, try to make friends along the way. You know, you can, can do a lot of things, but making beer is definitely a, a fun job and it's a, it's a good way to you know, create like fellowship with other uh, like-minded folks. So,
2: No, you're doing a great job, Todd. Thank you. And then Ray, um, for you, you know, you have also done barbecue competitions. Um, th- does that feel like a collaboration when when you're doing a barbecue competition?
3: I don't know. I'm thinking about a Memphis Mop collaboration now. I don't know. <laughs> 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 um, that way, my customers could could drink it, you know, instead of putting it on stuff. Um, <laughs> as far as uh, the barbecue competitions. Um, you know as far as a collaboration not really if it's more like fellowship um and like the barbecue community steps up whenever you need something kind of thing um but as far as a collaboration not in the same way no not 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 the same no it wouldn't be because you're kind of you're all you know Kind of heading for the same goal, but you're kind of you know at each other's throats. But then, if something were to happen, you would help them out in a heartbeat. So it's 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 more about the fellowship and and the the sense of community,
2: you know. Yeah. No, that's great. The last thing I'm going to ask you is tell us a little more about the the beer queso that that recipe you're working on. You know, what is, how would you make a beer queso? First, how do you make a queso? I mean, I've had some some weird ones, but I, I know what it's supposed to be.
3: It's really, you know, this this recipe's uh, again. I'm really w- trying to focus on the on a lot of the basics for someone that just gets a kamado style cooker. Um, I'm trying not to give them stuff that's too complicated, but I really want to introduce a lot of great flavors. Like you're going to see flavors from all over the world in this book, uh, and on top of that, some really great barbecue flavors and recipes. Um, as far as the queso goes, uh, this is a really super simple recipe. Um, you kind of put everything in a cast iron skillet or a Dutch oven. Um, all your favorites, really, you know, uh, Colby Jack cheese, cheddar cheese, any kind of cheese that's like really that melts easily. Um, and then I I like to use uh, like smoked sausage. So I'll saute smoked sausage and break it up so it's ground like crumbles. And then that goes into the pot with green chilies, sweet onion, uh, some barbecue rub, maybe some Rotel, some cilantro, some jalapeno, you know, uh, a really, uh, really delicious beer and it just goes in and it goes right on the smoker, and then you stir it up. And in about a half hour, 45 minutes, magic happens. And you just, you know, you're just dipping everything in it pretzels, you know, soft pretzels, tortilla chips. It's just kind of like a fondue. This is party like the ultimate,
2: ultimate dip, almost like a fondue. Right. It's not supposed to be soupy, and it's, it's, right. it's you not want supposed it, to be like a um, cheese whiz or something.
3: Right. You want it to coat the back of a spoon. You know, you don't want it to be, like, soupy. You don't want it to be watery.
2: But you don't want it to be super thick either, you know? Yeah, I, I always assumed that queso would be like that because I, I had some Mexican friends who were chefs. One time we went to a, a – I'm not even going to name it. All I'm going to tell you is that the reason I said soupy is that we had one. I swear to God, it was, like, cheese soup out of a can. And uh, that's not queso. So <laughs> I want to keep the standard side because when, when, I, when I see queso at a restaurant – I want, it to, I want it to come out the, the something like that you would make, Ray. So let's keep setting the standards. I'm going to have to break off soon because I know engineers engineer has got to go. I want to just give a shout-out Ray Sheehan. When his new book comes out, which might be when, the fall or in 2022?
3: It's looking
2: like uh, they have it listed on Amazon right now for March 29th so, uh, of 22. So I'll tell you what, just put that you know beer bar owners and brewery owners i would get that book because you will have enough really great recipes for your 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 tavern or or bar or beer menu uh, i'm not I'm, i didn't mean it ray the, the 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 different you know dishes like just doing a barbecue shrimp new orleans style and crab cakes and everything else you're talking about to me that that's the ultimate uh, beer and food pairing right there um also going to shout out this weekend it's, it's it's your this is an evergreen show meaning you're going to listen to it for a long time but um some barbecue people like pig farmer Tank Jackson is really into cider pairing and I know he's been working with the Spanish style Cedra. um that's that's also exciting too so you know food pairing is just it's just you're just touching the surface right Todd we're just touching the surface um but like anything you got to eat a lot and drink a lot <laughs> um, that's true. So, and I want to thank everybody. Ray, good luck with the book. Looking forward to seeing you at, at our event. Thank you. Um, Todd, thank you again. And, and Paul, one more time, man, you've been inspiring me for many years with, with your great beer out of your little brew house in Long Island. So okay. thanks for joining yeah, thanks,
1: us. Thank, thank you, Jimmy.
2: All right. So big shout out to Armin Spengen, our engineer. Caroline Fox, our producing intern. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio. We'll catch you next time. All right, guys. Thank you. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simulcast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member.